For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and, the, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Lord, would you come and speak to us now as we turn to your word in Christ's name, amen. Good morning, welcome, especially if you're visiting this morning. My name is Dave, as you could tell. Uh, I'm one of the priests here, hence black. Uh, it is also slimming, so I try to use that to my advantage uh, whenever possible, uh, but wonderful to have you with us here at St. Bart's. Um, we're gonna look at our passage in Ephesians briefly, and let me begin with a question. Have you ever felt like a failure? Uh, or have you ever felt like you're of no use to God? Or maybe you've perhaps the thoughts have crouched into your mind that maybe God wouldn't want to answer your prayers. I think that those are common questions that can crouch in around the, the mind and the heart of a believer. And as a follower of Jesus, we're described of by Paul in this passage and in the book of Ephesians as being in Christ. And maybe if you've been in church circles for a while, you've heard that banished around and, you know, in Christ, yeah, uh, in Christ alone, I know that hymn, um, you know, all these things. But what does it really mean? And that's what I want to look at for a moment. Um, because this phrase, if we get back to the text, to be in him revolutionizes how we see ourselves. It changes and reframes, perhaps, our self-image. It can reframe our sense of identity and how we understand our value to God. Let me illustrate it to you. If you were to take out a pen, I came prepared, so I have one, and say you put your name on the bulletin, right? So here we are, you check later, David Larley, okay? And just imagine for a moment that this represents me. It does bear my name after all. And imagine that this Bible represents Christ. Christ Jesus, all right? The best way to understand what it means to be in him is to put it in, close the Bible. All right, now whatever happens to the Bible happens to the bulletin. Whatever happens to the bulletin happens to the Bible. You're in Christ. When the book, go, wherever the book goes, you go. Wherever the bulletin goes, you go. You're not part of the book, but you are now identified totally with the book. It's as if the book has taken hold of the bulletin. That's the imagery of being in Christ, that God has taken hold of us. We're not part of him, 
but we are identified completely with him. And what happens to Jesus has happened to us, and then wherever we go, he is with us. And that's the heart of God, and that's his heart this morning. And I'm going on gentle ground, because I know we all come from different experiences of church in Dallas and further afield. Um, you know, eight years serving here in Dallas, even people who don't go to church have discovered the majority have had an experience of church. And sadly, it hasn't always been positive. And so that's why we're going to reframe and try to dig in a little bit what it means to be in him. God longs to take hold of us and to place us in him. And when that happens, everything changes. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's as we go about our lives and we discover that he's with us, that we discover who we are and what we're made for. It's as we realize that where he has gone and now is, is also in some way where we've been and where we will go. So let's dig in. You have your bulletin there. I've got to find mine again. I had it out. There we go. But let me just, okay, so we're Ephesians 1. And it's just a snippet of a great and glorious passage. But let me read it to you. We're going to look at what's in the bulletin there on page 6. But listen to this from uh, the message. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I think of you and give thanks, but I do more than thank, I ask. I ask the God of our master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy. Boundless strength. <laughs> I could do some of that this morning. I've only had five shots of espresso. Bear with me. Uh, last few verses. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe Everything from galaxies to governments, no name, no power exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Isn't that lovely? And so what we see here in this passage, and now on page six, Paul, when he's praying for what Eugene calls intelligence and wisdom, that we might see what he has called us to, are three things. And you'll find them in verses 18 and 19. In eight, verse 18 on page six, he says, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you might know what is the hope. That's the first thing, hope. What does it mean to have hope in him? Hope in here, where we identify with him, though we're not 
part of him, we identify with him, and what happens to him happens to us. The hope in him. The second thing is that we might know what the riches of his glorious inheritance are. And the third thing in verse 19, the power that we have in him. So what is hope? I was in Albertsons in Castellinda. Albertsons has the greatest music. It really does. Next time you go, listen. It's straight from the 90s. I feel young again. And it happens sometimes, doesn't it? We get caught behind another couple. And it doesn't matter how you try to zigzag and hit the produce line. You're just locked in. And I was behind this couple, and they were having a bad day, I thought. And they were arguing and nitpicking at each other the whole time. And, and you know, whether it was Brussels sprouts were right, or don't get that chicken, get this chicken, and get Velveeta, and not, you know, the whole thing. Finally, we get to the checkout. And of course, I'm stuck behind them again at the checkout. And they get through the checkout, and that, 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 the whole time, I'm like, oh, Lord. You know, I even begin to pray for them at a distance because I don't want to get caught into the tractor beam of their stuff. And then as I'm finishing, I come out, and where are they? They're at the lotto booth. You know, blessed Albertson still has the lottery. You know, they're there. And all of a sudden, everything had changed. They weren't bickering. They had the scratch tickets. Maybe this one. Maybe this one will change everything. And I kind of scoffed and walked on. But that to me is like hope in our culture today. It's just a word. It's like, I wish. Oh, wouldn't it be great to win the lottery, all of our problems solved. Well, we've had plenty win the lottery and their lives become a train wreck. It's just a greater version of what it was before. So the resources don't solve it. But hope, hope from Jesus, hope in him, is based and predicated on who he knows his Father in heaven to be. And if we're in him, that becomes our hope. And so our hope is predicated not foremost on what he's done for us, but what he's done in Jesus. Because if we're in him, what's happened to him has happened to us. And what we see in the life of Jesus is a picture of a Father in heaven who's like unlike any father though there are many great fathers in this world. A, a father that is so good that his character is, is the very definition of goodness. And so hope in him becomes a joyful expectation that good will come because our father in heaven is inherently good. He's so good that in his kindness, he allowed his son to step into the world to show us a different way of life. And the scriptures say that in his kindness, he leads us to repentance. And so hope for me, hope for you in him, is predicated on his character. And it's the goodness of our Father in heaven that is his basis, that is the basis for his authority in our lives today. And so it isn't because I need to do this because it's what the Bible says Though we do do that, because sometimes you do have, you, you, we do do that. But it's also, Lord, you've been so good to me. How could I do this? Here's the thing about hope. Hope requires three ingredients, probably more. You can't get hope on your own. Hope requires relationships. 
You need other people in your lives. It's funny, it takes zero effort on my part to get discouraged. <laughs> it just happens. It's like someone asked me, you're gonna go skydiving? I said, no, why? I have absolute faith in gravity. <laughs> zero faith in my ability to fly. You know, I can get discouraged without any effort whatsoever. And so I need people. We are hardwired for community. And so hope requires relationships. Hope also requires courage. Because sometimes if your trust has been broken by people in authority, sometimes if trust has been broken by people in authority, dare I say, sadly, in the church, how do you trust? How do you take that step to trust again? You can't do it on your own. That's why we need relationships. That's why we need community. That's why we're encouraged time and again to meet together and not to stop meeting together. So that's the first thing, hope. The second is, what is our inheritance in him? Is, you know, what does that look like? Inheritance here isn't really your inheritance. It's not really my inheritance. But the inheritance that we get is the inheritance that is God's. And what is God looking forward to? The scriptures tell us that what he's so looking forward to when all is redeemed is for eternity with us. Imagine, eternity with me, eternity with you, just being. We'll have stuff to do, probably. Unlikely we'll need to iron because wrinkling is a cause of the fall, and so no ironing. But it's gonna be time to speak, time to hear, time to listen. It says here, though, to really understand what our inheritance is, we have to go back a little bit, rewind the tape in Ephesians, and look at verse 13. Having believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures say, has been, has been given to us. He has come to live within us. In the ancient world, and sometimes today, when a package or a letter was sent, it was sent with a seal. And that seal was placed on it to indicate where it had come from and to whom it belonged. And so recently I had the privilege of doing uh, a funeral for, um, you know, someone in the upper echelons of society. And when they sent me the thank you note, I didn't read it for such a long time because the seal was so spectacular. You know, they have their own crest and, you know, it was just, just glorious and I have it here but it's a sign of where it has come from. And the scriptures tell us that in him, in him, our inheritance has been given, we've been given a taste, we've been given a down payment, and it's the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is an indication to us that our inheritance is guaranteed. So to use the words of Paul, to use the words, the teachings of Jesus, we have the guarantee of our inheritance, whether that's the pledge, whether that's the first taste, the down payment of what's to come. And that's what we're invited into. And that's what's so exciting about the vision of St. Bart's that was set by many of you before we arrived, that we would be a, a church rooted in East Dallas that seeks to connect people with God and with the people of God so that together as we behold him, we become like him. Isn't that beautiful? The idea that I, because Jesus had such a relationship with his father, 
where they spoke to each other face to face, that because I am in him, that one day I will have that relationship with God, the creator of the universe, will be able to figure out if the physics behind Star Trek actually work, because he knows, right? But until then, a deposit has been given to you and to me, and it's the presence of the Holy Spirit living in our lives in anticipation of the full redemption and the full acquiring and complete possession of what's been promised to us. It's the riches of his glorious inheritance. So that's inheritance in him. Third point is what does power look like in him? Well, the thing is, in the New Testament, power, the nature of power, changes to the core. His incredibly great power for us who believe is in you. It's in you. It's in you. This isn't power as the world sees it, where people strive to achieve, maybe through possessions, maybe through status or social media following. No, this is power, and this is not power achieved by force or human strength. This isn't power predicated on anything like that. This is the power that belongs to, to God. And he has come to live within you and to live within me so that we might have endless energy. We might have boundless strength because he's given us his plan. He's told us what he's longing to do. He's given us great responsibility. And his plans for the universe are now in the hands, not my hands, not your hands, but in the hands of all, all of us. I was trying to figure out the text inverted. It's not all y'all, because I'm part of it. Anyway, it's in the hands of Jesus' body on earth, the church. And this is why the scriptures are able to say that the church is not peripheral to the world, but the world has become peripheral to the church. And that we are to go out. And we're to go out, we're to share this loving kindness, and a church united in its identity in him with all of its hope, with the promise and the down payment of our inheritance, and with the power that is gentle, the power that is kind, gracious, and yes, sometimes firm. When we hold this in our hearts and minds with the plan, God's plan for redemption, when we begin to think like him because we're in him, then we begin to act like him. I had a huge, and I'm gonna close with this story, if you don't permit, just a story, just, just, just share a little bit of what God did yesterday. I found that the more I want to see God move in power, the more I need to posture myself around people who are like the widow in the gospel reading, who have nothing. And it's been, the poor have so much to give us. They're rich in ways that we aren't rich. They're rich in their faith and they're rich in their experience of God. And so yesterday, um, I was part of an event where we used barbecue to create a space for people to connect with each other and with God. I kind of borrowed that from the church's vision. And uh, see what he did there? The vision's at the back of the bulletin if you'd like to see it for yourself. And we worked in partnership with uh, a friend organization of St. Bart's, The Human Impact, 
and uh, we were initially asked to cater for 50. Pretty straightforward. Uh, except 140 turned up, so that was interesting. And uh, the idea was not that we would just feed people, but that we would celebrate Thanksgiving together. And so the idea was half would be part of the chronically homeless that the human impact are working with, and the other half would be people like you and me. And we'd sit down, we had conversation cards, and we'd talk and celebrate Thanksgiving. Because most who are chronically homeless have suffered a catastrophic loss in relationships. And that's the biggest problem. Because really, with the resources deployed in Dallas, there's no reason for anyone to sleep on the streets today. I've worked downtown, I've visited the shelters. There's no reason for that to happen. But when you've lost all your relationships, how do you trust? Where does the courage come to enable you to trust? In my opinion, as I just said, we were never designed to be on our own. We are hardwired for community. And trust and courage can be poured into us from others. And so courage and trust start at a table. And when new friendships are made, the sparks of trust and courage begin to fly. And in a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. It's a space of grace created just for you to come and to receive. And it's our expectation that as, as we meet him at the table, as we're in him, sparks of courage and sparks of trust will kindle in our hearts that we might hope again. I went around, because I knew I'd be speaking this morning, a little unfair, a slight advantage, I began to ask, what is hope? And I was asking anyone who would listen, and we heard all kinds of things. But the best was time and again, people who had been working with the human impact would say, hope is people. And I just kind of paraphrase that to say, we need relationships. So we're gonna pray. And I wonder if there's anyone here who needs help to trust again. During communion, there'll be prayer teams available. And if you'd like to receive prayer after you've received, just you'll find them at the back of the pillars. But I wonder if, if someone... There might be some of us here in a crowd like this, it makes sense that some of us might need help to trust again. What would hope look like? What would it look like to get a taste of what Jesus knew of his Father to be like? What about our inheritance? What about that idea that God is longing to spend eternity with you? How does that sit? Is this true? And that power, the power of God that brings love and kindness and enables lives to be changed. That was the arresting question I was asked at seminary. Have you been filled with the power of God? And I'd say, I'm full of something, but I don't think it's what you're talking about. Help me. I wonder if you're wondering what that is. Well, let's pray. Why don't we stand? Lord Jesus, thank you for the promise you've made to us in your word. Thank you for that promise that in you we discover who we are and what we're living for. And we know theologically, Holy Spirit, that you're, you reside in all who believe. And yet we need your help. We need more. We need to have our eyes opened that we might see afresh what the hope is that we have in you. 
that we might see afresh what the inheritance is we have in you and what this power is that we have in you. We long to be a church that reaches people in East Dallas to connect them to you and to your people. And we need your help. So come, Holy Spirit. Even now, we ask that for any who need to t- that courage to trust again, whether it's a relationship with a loved one, a friend, a colleague, a coworker, and we'd hate to say it, but we recognize it may be true, the longing to trust the church again, come and speak to our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we gather around your table in a moment, a table that you have prepared for us, as we seek to receive from you, you feed the hungry with good things. For those of us who hunger for trust and for hope, for those of us who hunger for that sense of our inheritance in you, for those of us who hunger for that sense of the power, your power, come and feed us, we pray. Thank you, Jesus.